Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Not too long ago, and it's called From Rome to Jerusalem. It is written by a man by the name of Hanscom. I don't know if anybody knows Brother Hanscom. Brother Hanscom is the pastor of a church in Tennessee, and it's a United Pentecostal church, but he pastors that church. But he was formerly a priest in the Catholic Church. And uh, he began to read his Bible, and he realized that he said he always felt like there was something missing. Uh, Didn't quite know what it was, couldn't put his finger on it, but when he would read the Bible, he would see things that he was not being told in his local assembly. And so he began to search deeper, and he actually has spent many years writing that book, the great thing about that book is it's not just a man's head knowledge. It's literally facts and dates and different things. And I think I'll make a copy available. I'd like to possibly start some kind of a library here where you could come and check out a book and you could take it home and read it and then bring it back. Or maybe digitally we can figure that out at some point. But I would like to have some sort of school of scriptures, amen, where you can come and you can get stuff and you can learn and grow from it and then you can bring it back and let somebody else learn and grow. And if you benefit from a book that you know and you say, hey, this is a great book, you can bring it, we can put it in that library and and, uh, we'll just have a place for people to learn of the Lord, amen? I really like to do that. It's on my heart. It's been on my heart this week as I've been praying. I probably put more than... I don't know if I should say this, put more than four hours in on this sermon praying about this. And I really feel like God loves God loves his people. And when he starts anointing, tears start flowing out of my eyes. And it's just, it's really just God's anointing that falls on me because he loves you. That's how it works. Amen. And so everything that hits me up here is just God trying to get love to you. But there's a human vessel involved. If, if you've ever talked to any preachers, you know that preachers tend to have the message that they get from God, the message that they preach and the message that they wanted to preach. <laughs> There's always three sermons that... Um, but this pastor, this pastor in Tennessee, he wrote this book, and he felt like he, if you put it all into a book instead of a sermon series, it would be better, and so he did that. And did you know that every, every Catholic priest that he's handed that book to has been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost? In fact, in the last couple years... They have seen more Catholics converted, Catholic hierarchy converted, even a bishop over 17 Catholic churches in Florida came to the understanding through the book, because it ha- it, it's not it's facts, it's dates, it's locations, it's how it happened, what the Catholic Church did and how they destroyed people's lives and the murders and the things that took place. And there's even uh, some of the information about, uh, it's, there's all kinds of stuff in there. But anyways... So th- this one bishop began to read and he started searching the scriptures and he came to a Pentecostal service and he fell out in the floor and the Lord hit him and he began to speak in tongues and he literally prayed for literally 45 minutes speaking in tongues, laying on the floor and there's pictures of him that they have in his full headdress and everything and he went back and his son, he told his son about it and his son got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name and then they started baptizing priest friends of theirs, amen, as God was doing the work and it's been just absolutely amazing what God has done and now these priests are all in a church in Florida and they're all attending church and someone came up to him afterwards and said aren't you worried about what the Catholic Church is going to say to you about now that you believe that there's only one God and you believe that you need to be baptized in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost and he said I don't care what they have to say I really don't he goes I gave 71 years of my life to the Catholic Church and I'm not bashing Catholic like I'm just saying, this is his life story. He goes, and I and I found, I've been baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I found the real thing in my life. And Jesus was so good to me that he sought me. Can you imagine a man spending all of his life trying to do the work of God and never truly finding the right?
right way because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when he found Jesus, when he truly found Jesus and got baptized in his name and stepped into that covenant with God through baptism, it was the circumcision of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we're baptized into that covenant, amen? And when he went down in Jesus' name and he found God, he just said, you know what, this is what I was looking for my entire life, and I just never could quite reach it. I want to tell you there's something about God. We have the greatest thing that we could ever experience. God mingled with man's soul. God who wrapped himself in flesh so that we could then, being flesh, could have ourselves wrapped with God. I don't know about you, but I'm excited today about the Holy Ghost being in my life because there are others that are on the edge looking in and they get in and they see it and they want more of it and they know that this is something they never were able to experience until now. I know I'm preaching, but I haven't even got to my sermon. But I wanted to finish this whole following Jesus concept with you today. And I was kind of battling in my mind which direction to go. I had several things because I was like, you know, God was speaking to me, maybe even personally. But if we could just stand for the reading of the word and honor of the word, I, I'm so impressed with how God will wait for years and years on somebody to find the, the way, the truth, and the life in him, and, and he'll keep on going after them. If you are hungry, if you are truly hungry for deeper things than God, you will find it. You will find it. The Bible says that he did not leave, he did not leave the earth without a witness. Even though there was many different things that happened all through history with the church, the Bible says that he promised that there was a witness. Somewhere there was somebody who knew the way to God. And that throughout time, we see as the church developed and, and grew and, and revelation came, there's something I want to tell you right now that will change your life if you hear me right now. If you, some people ask me, why do you, why do you study the backstory, Brother Calhoun? Why do you try to dig in as deep as you can and figure out what was going on in the culture and the times? Because I want you to know that when you find a revelation from God, it's your possession. It never can be taken back from you. And so if you seek God with all your heart and you get a revelation from God, that thing becomes a reality in your life for the rest of your life. So if you at a young age, if you at a young age, at 12, 13, 14, Roly, you guys hear me, hear me right now, young people in this room, if you start to seek God with all your heart and God, Josiah, and God starts to share revelation with you, you will literally live with the power of that revelation in your life for the rest of your life and it will make you free. The Bible doesn't, oh man, see, I'm already preaching. I don't know why I had you stand. <laughs> Acts, let's go to Acts 11. Acts 11, we'll, we'll grab this verse that we've huddled around. Acts 11, and we're, I'm just going to, I suppose, read uh, real quick. My notes are kind of a mess today. I'm, I'm a little bit of a mess. Everyone say a mess. Good thing he uses a mess to create a message. Acts eleven twenty six. Acts eleven twenty six. Acts eleven and twenty six. And when he had found, okay, let's start in twenty twenty five. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. I want to say Saul. You guys know that guy, don't you? God changed his name to Paul. He wrote one third of the New Testament. That was who he was seeking. And when he found him, everyone say found him. He brought him unto Antioch. Antioch is modern day Turkey. Okay. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled. This is important what I'm reading. That assembled themselves with the church. Everyone say for a year. And taught many people. And the disciples, everyone say disciples. That's what they called themselves. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Christians first at Antioch. And so, I want to preach for just a few minutes about following Jesus. And that's really important to me because I think that's one of the greatest titles we could have as a follower of Christ. And this is kind of part two of last week, but we'll do a little bit of review. Jesus, would you touch the word, the hearer, in Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord today. 
The Bible promises that there is a blessing in being planted in the house of the Lord, and when you come on a regular basis, blessings fall out into your life. Believe it, it's true. So I was talking last week, just a quick review of what is a Christian. Christian is a title, apostolic is a title, Pentecostal is a title, all those are titles, amen? They all have significance because there's something attached to them. Titles have relevance, but titles need to know, you need to know where the title came from, okay, in order for it to have relevance in your life. Um, I, I prefer not to be called necessarily a Christian, but a follower of Jesus Christ. They were called in the original church disciples and saints. We talked about that last week. But they were also called, in, in actually in Antioch, they were called the people who were of the way. Everyone say the way. They knew them because they were believers who would pray for people and they would be healed. Very interesting that God uses the miraculous to show people who his people are. He only puts his hand on the church he birthed, amen? And if, he bore, if he's born a church that is his church, then we have to find out what doctrine that church lives with and what doctrine they believe and how they live. So it's important that we understand that Christian was a negative term. I want to say negative term. So in modern day Turkey here, I read to you, Jesus was preached. They were building a church. The church got built up by all these Greek speaking and Roman folk. And so they built this church and they're speaking um, in tongues and they're baptizing people. And there's so many people that are coming into the church that literally Barnabas, you know, those, those folks that are in Jerusalem, you know, John and Peter and all them, they get word of what's going on in Antioch. And they're like, okay, we got to send Barnabas down there and figure out, is this really true? Is it, is there really a church there in Antioch? We can't believe it, but God is obviously doing something because we're getting words back. And so, so actually Barnabas gets sent to get Saul and then goes to the, the church at Antioch, which is very powerful. And we'll get back to that in just a little, a little bit. Whenever I finish, I'm going to finish with a point on that. But what I want you to know is there are several different ways that they were, they were looked at in scripture. But whenever they decided to label them in Antioch, they just called them Christians, which means to be Christ-like. It's not really a negative term so much in our sense, but it was used as a negative term in those days. And, and maybe it's because that the Christians were so persecuted in, in the coming years that, that they literally did not like the name Christian. But what happened with the the time period was there was a there was a massive amount of growth going on in the church and as as they grew they didn't know how to uh, teach maybe all the tenets of apostolic doctrine so they asked for people to come and so then whenever Paul and Barnabas got there they needed to stay for a whole year in order to develop the church into disciples because they had a bunch of babies okay they had a bunch of people that just had been saved and they were trying to figure out what it is to live for Christ and what it really meant to be a disciple more than a Christian. How many know that the word Christian is loosely defined? There really isn't a true definition of the word Christian. So whenever we talk about being a Christian, there's a lot of people that hide behind the label of Christian, but they're really not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hello, somebody. Can I be real here today? So what happens in the overall understanding of what a Christian is, is we have to, you know, we have to understand that in order to be a disciple of God, you have to change your disciplines and your lifestyle. It's really important that we realize that discipline is the root word of disciple. And if you have no discipline to love the Lord, to study, there's something powerful that comes out of studying the word of God. I can't express it or explain it, but it changes the human soul. When you begin to study the word of God, it breeds life into you. It does something to change you and you become a disciple. How many know what a disciple is? A disciple is literally a person that is, um, the word is methetos in, in the Greek, but it's learner, pupil, adherent, apprentice, and wait for it, follower. It's follower of Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing that I found is that whenever I began to follow Jesus Christ, people noticed, have you ever, maybe you haven't experienced this, but whenever you're full of the Holy Ghost, leaving a service and you go out to eat or something, have you ever had people stop and look at you? 
because they couldn't quite figure out what it was about you, but there's something different about you. There's this light in your eyes. There's a joy in your heart. And they can't, and you start like checking yourself, making sure you're all put together. You know, is my fly down? Did I do something? You know, is something not buttoned? You know, and so I usually like, I've actually walked into a restaurant with my family and the people that are serving like stop and look at you. And I don't know, you know, you can't quite make sense of all that sometimes except for that the Holy Ghost is shining through you and there's something they feel when you walk into the room. I've had people, you know, change the way. I have a, a pastor friend, one of the earliest preachers that I can remember that oftentimes he, he spent so much time in prayer and he was so connected to the spiritual world that when he walked into a restaurant and his parishioners that would go with him to eat and they would be, they, you know, like the people that were in his church that he was pastoring, they would go with him to eat and sit down. Like They would be in a place and someone would start getting vocal and loud and obnoxious and they, he knew that there was possibly a spirit in that person that was demonstrating because he had so much power of God on his life. And literally he walked into this one restaurant, sat down with some folks and these folks were uh, converts of his and actually are now in the Middle East and they're seeing great revival in the Middle East. Um, and they were sitting there with him and this woman starts saying, I don't like him. I don't like him. And, and Brother Stone King looked over and she was pointing at him and she, he didn't know her from Adam. He didn't know who she was, but he had so much Holy Ghost in him and so much power of God in him that she literally started demonstrating the demonic spirit that was on her, started demonstrating and he turned to his people and he said, I have to leave and I have to leave right now. <laughs> he was Lee Stone King. If you've ever heard Lee Stone King, he's like, I've got to leave and I've got to leave now. He always talks like he's preaching. So he's like, I've got to leave. And so he stood up to leave and he took the farthest route away from this woman. And when he got by her and he was about to pass her, he got right in line with her and he, he looked and he caught her eyes and she stood up and flung herself, breaking glass and everything over the table trying to reach for him because she had a demonic spirit in her that began to demonstrate. And actually when he walked by her on the way to his table before this all happened, he said, this Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, she has a demonic spirit and she's going to demonstrate before you leave. That's what God told him. How would you like to be in connection with a God like that that speaks to your mind and tells you things? Now, that may seem spooky to some people, but to him, he's used to it. He's been around God long enough and prayed long enough. He used to come home at night and he would literally eat a meal as fast as he could and then he would lay on his face on his carpet for hours at a time praying before the Lord. If you begin to reach for God like that, something happens to you that is a powerful change in your life and God gets, you get God's attention, amen? So literally this begins to happen and he just tries to get out of there. So sometimes things take place whenever you're full of the Holy Ghost that you cannot quite quantify but it is God at work. And so these people that are in this church in Antioch, they have this new guy show up named Saul. And God's changed his name to Paul. He's had a miraculous conversion. And there's a bright light that shows out of heaven and it knocks him off of his, his vehicle at that time, <laughs> his donkey. And he literally sees Jesus and he says, who are you, God? And he said, I'm, Je I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And God's strikes him with blindness and then there's all kind, there's a lot of the story that I don't want to go into because I don't have time but literally Paul shows up with Barnabas and if you know anything about church history you realize the people fled Jerusalem because of the persecution that was beginning and they fled out to outlying areas and when they fled a lot of the people that were being persecuted showed up at the church at Antioch and so when Paul, who used to be Saul, who persecuted Christians, even put people to death because he brought them back to the church because he thought he was doing the right thing for God, but God actually showed him that, no, you're actually fighting against me. You're actually killing my people. When he realized that, he comes. Now he's at this church in Antioch, and there's people in the church at Antioch that may have had their own loved ones dragged off by this Saul, but now God has touched him, and they have received him like he's a brother. And so the people that are outside the church, literally, this is, this is scholarly speculation, but they believe that the representation of why they finally called them Christ-like at Antioch was because they saw someone who 
who have, should have never been loved. Someone should have been persecuted back. Someone should have been told, why did you take my loved ones away from me? And why they should have had so much bitterness, but yet they loved Saul. Mm. Like he was their own. And so the people outside of the church said, truly these are Christians. And what was meant to be a negative title became a positive title. You can define Christianity in so many ways nowadays, it's not even funny. You can go to war with the title of Christianity. <laughs> you, can, you can destroy lives. You can redefine Christianity. You can even undefine Christianity. Just call yourself a Christian and never define what that is. Because it's a label. And people who follow Jesus are not interested in labels. They're interested in being disciples. Someone said amen. So I have the $60 million question to ask you today. Are you hiding behind an undefined word, an undefined word called Christian? Or are you becoming a disciple? And even a worse question, hopefully surgical. Are you following Jesus or just taking a walk with other Christians? It's really important that you know that you're not doing something just because others are doing it. You're doing it because Jesus loves those that follow him. I know we're all on a journey, but someone needs to ask the question, where are we going? Someone needs to also constantly ask the question, are we on course? Is this the right direction we're going? Last year I asked all of us to do this each one win one, each one teach one, and each one train one. And, and I believe a lot of you have been able to do that. I mean, I see, I look back and I see Jonica back there working the sound, and I'm like, that's each one train one. Praise God, I'm so excited about that. And there's others that have done a great job this year of doing that, but how do you quantify where we're going? Sometimes we have themes and we have titles for things, but if people are not receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we need to shake up the compass, get a realignment, and figure out where is the Holy Ghost leading us. And when the Holy Ghost leads us, the power of God falls on this place and people and lives are changed. I don't want to just preach another sermon to you today. I would like to close everything here and have us just have an altar call and have people's lives forever changed by God and literally realign and realter and rechange and reform us to the things that God wants in our life. Jesus wants to make us into disciples. The Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. When you learn the truth, you don't have a choice in the matter. It starts to make and do a work on you. You literally have a choice whether you're going to accept the work or not. But the Bible says, David even said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down. There's times when God will make you do things. And when you learn the truth, he starts making you new. Amen? He starts making you over and reforming you into the shape and the space and the disciple that he wants you to be. And if you're following Jesus, your choice is yes. A follower of Jesus is literally someone that says, whatever he did, I want to do. If Jesus was here and you had a problem in your life, you would go to Jesus and say, Jesus, how would you handle this? And however he would, han would handle it, that's how you would handle it. That is what it means to be a follower or disciple of Jesus. You go and you look in his word and you find if he has done it or said it or promised anything a certain way that you should, and you should follow that way, that your literal answer is yes before you ask the question before you say God I want to do this what would you do you have to know that God my answer is already affirmative I want to do whatever you tell me to do that's what being a disciple is are you following Jesus Peter got this quite well in fact he understood it to a fault in John 13 33 there's an interesting passage of scripture that I kind of want to just cap all this off for you with. Jesus gives us what it takes to be a disciple. I want to say disciple. Say it again, disciple. 
whenever you begin to be discipled by God, things change. I remember a preacher that was... I have a lot of preacher friends, so forgive the preacher references. Um, I guess whenever you grow up and then you go to Bible college and you make friends and then all your friends go into ministry, you're going to have a lot of preacher friends. But I remember a friend was witnessing to a seminary student and he started talking to him and he's like, do you believe that Peter is your first pope? And he's like, yeah. And he had his, his, his Bible with him, which was a Dewey translation, which is a little bit more pointed in some areas than the King James even. And um, so he knew that Acts 2.38 was in there. And so he turned to Acts 2.38. I'll get back to John 13 um, in just a minute. It's here, but I don't, I don't want to hit it yet. So, um, so he was talking to him about it. And he's like, so is Peter your first pope? Yes. Do you believe Peter in, Peter, his word was infallible? Yes. Do you believe that um, if you read the words of Peter, you should obey them? Yes. I believe Peter was our first pope. And so he does all that stuff and he goes through it, which quite honestly, it would be a very simple little Bible study to prove that that is wrong because Peter was never in Rome. If you don't know your Bible, I'll, I'll teach you. It's about five different scriptures. I can prove to you Peter was never in Rome. He never started the Catholic Church. I don't know why I'm on the Catholic Church today, but I am. I apologize to all the Catholics in the room. <laughs> You're going to go home and like talk to your priest, I know, right? No, I'm kidding. But all, all the people that were literally that were literally believing that pope, their first pope was Peter and that by what they call apostolic succession, all of, this, all of these things are passed down through all the popes and that's why we have the pope we have now is because it passed all the way through back to Peter. They have record of this. Well, they, the records get really hazy in certain places, but I won't go there because that's all church history and I don't have time to give a seminary um, education. But what happened was literally... Whenever he's talking to this guy, he's like, so do you believe Peter's your first pope? And yes. And do you believe Peter, uh, his words should be obeyed? Yes. So he turns to Acts 2.38 and he says, this is what your first pope said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. This is our favorite verse. I know I hit it all the time. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he says, he said, if this is your first pope and this is what he said to do, he goes, why aren't you still doing it? And the, and the young seminary student goes, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He goes, well, you need to go find out. He goes, well, I have some questions to ask. And, it, and while they were standing there talking, they were waiting for the bus, and they missed the bus. So then the pastor runs back in and asks a friend of his, can you drive us to where he needs to go? We need to take him. He's going back to seminary. So they're like, okay. And so he's like headed to the car, and he's like, drive really slow. <laughs> and it was a pickup truck, like one of those little S10 pickup trucks with only one seat in it. So they're crammed in the front seat. And on one side is the preacher witnessing to the guy in the middle, and on the other side is the guy... And so he's witnessing to him about Jesus' name, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and people that have experienced this. And he's talking to him about the experience of, of some of these other people that, that saw it and found it in the Word of God, and it was there. And, and, and so he's telling him all this stuff, and he gets to the point where he's like, you know, I want you to remember me. I'm going to teach you a worship song. And this was quite a ways back. You'll recognize it if, you know, if you've been in church. He goes, I want to teach you a worship song that will help you remember me. He's like, and the, the young seminary student's like, uh, okay. And he's like, it goes like this. We are happy people. Yes, we are. We are happy people. Yes, we are. Does anybody know this song? <laughs> he goes, we are happy people. And he starts singing it for him. Yes, we are. We are happy people. Yes, we are. We sing this song all day long because Jesus made all, or Jesus made all right all our wrongs we are happy people yes we are and then he goes and there's another verse so actually they're singing it he's like try it and so they're singing we are happy people and yes we are and this seminary student starts singing with them and he's like well we like to clap in our church. Why don't you try clapping? So he's got this <laughs> seminary kid that knows nothing about Pentecostalism. Now he's clapping, singing, we are happy people. Yes, we are. We are happy people. And so um, we sing this song all day long. Jesus makes all our wrong, right, rights our wrongs. We are happy people. Yes, here. He goes, now there's another verse to this. 
He goes, this is a great verse, but you don't know it yet. I'm going to teach it to you. And he goes, it goes like this. We are happy people. Yes, we are. We are happy people. Yes, we are. Been baptized in Jesus' name. Spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost came. We are happy people. Yes, we are. And so then he's like, try it. Just try it. And so like, they're singing. And he's like, don't take your hand off the wheel. You don't clap. We clap. And so they're clapping and they're singing. We are happy people. Yes, we are. We are happy people. Yes, we are. Been baptized in Jesus' Jesus' name, spoken tongue in the Holy Ghost. Okay. We are happy people. Yes, we are. And the seminary student gets so excited and gets so happy. He's singing it and enjoying it. It's like, well, thank you for the ride. And they let him out. And he goes singing it down the sidewalk. Been baptized in Jesus' name, spoken tongues in the Holy A Catholic seminary student. <laughs> he's singing Acts 2.38, and he doesn't even really understand it yet. But the power of the Holy Ghost is so amazing that... I grew up, you know, obviously I grew up with experiences that I couldn't even tell you about. There's a service going on. There's this really distinguished couple that were sitting right over in this area. And they had money, and everybody knew they had money. And they liked everybody to know that they had money. <laughs> Anybody ever meet somebody like that? They have money, they like their money, and they like everybody to know they have money. So they had a very high dignity level. I'll say it that way. They wouldn't cry in public. And um, she would take her handkerchief and she would drape it over her finger like this. She would do one of these numbers. And when the Holy Ghost got to moving in the service, she would want to cry. So she would hold her handkerchief like this. <laughs> And she would dab her cheek <laughs> every time she started to cry because it was below her dignity to cry in public. Anybody know somebody like that? They didn't want their face to get all messed up. They didn't want church to change them. You know, it was like one of those things. So they, but they would come to church because they felt the power of God when he, they were here and they felt what, and they knew God was real. And, and they, when the preacher preached, they felt something electrifying in their soul. And so she would literally sit there through service like this <laughs> and he would sit there and the whole service, he was fascinated with something on the floor in the aisle. He kept on looking at the floor and just like looking up and looking at the floor. And it was almost distracting because he was like sitting there doing this and people were like wondering, what is that guy looking at? And the whole service, he felt like God was telling them, telling him to put your foot out in the aisle. Put your foot out in the aisle. And he couldn't obviously understand what, what in the world would God tell me to put my foot in the aisle for? That doesn't make any sense. Put your foot out in the aisle. So he's just like staring at the floor and it actually was distracting the preacher at one point because he's like, what are you looking at, man? So toward the end of the service, it got to where the preacher was all excited and he was, he was making a plea for souls and, and, uh, and he's like, he felt that strong urge to just put your foot out in the aisle again. And he put his foot out in the aisle. And the second he was obedient, the Holy Ghost hit him so hard. He literally felt like, he, his story, he felt like electricity went through his body. And he jumped up like this. He went, oh! <laughs> Everybody that was asleep during the sermon woke up that second. He goes, oh! 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 And he started doing that, doing the funky chicken, right in the center aisle. And his wife, with her dignified handkerchief sitting there going what is wrong with my husband he is embarrassing the life out of me and he's just going ho 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 just doing one of those walking around and he began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave utterance and began to run around the church and by this time his wife has fallen over and crawled underneath the pews because she is so dignified she is now mortified by her husband's behavior and he never came back to the pews he spent all the rest of his time in the altars running dancing shouting worshiping the lord he didn't care who cared he didn't care who saw him he didn't care what you thought of him he just felt something from god he never felt before and when you hit get hit with the holy ghost there's something that happens and you don't care who sees you you don't care what people think of you you literally get out of your own comfort zone and you start reaching for god with everything you have because if this is something that i can experience then i want it i want an experiential god there's really only and I'm trying to hasten to a close. There's really only three types of Christianity in our world. Really, it's broken down into several things. Three different types of Christianity that you'll run into in this world. Number one is you'll run into the apostolic doctrine. Everyone say the apostolic doctrine. That's what the apostles 
believed. That's what the apostles did. So when you see apostolic doctrine, you know that that is what the apostles taught in the book of Acts, AD 33. Okay? Everybody got that? That's the apostles' doctrine. That's one form of Christianity. The next Christianity you'll run into, you'll see this in 99% of any church that you walk into. The next form of Christianity you'll run into is called Church Fathers Christianity. Church Fathers Christianity. I have a friend that was converted and came into the church, got baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and he was in a church that was built on Church Fathers Christianity. It was Christianity that was developed over 300 plus years. It's where the Catholic Church came from. It is considered the original church, the church, or the Catholic Church, the church. When people say the church, they think, okay, that's the Catholic Church, but that's not really the church, just so you know. Um, so, But the Catholic Church was a developed church, developed Christianity by Christian fathers. Over 300 plus years, they finally developed, um, through in, in a certain amount of space and time, they had developed their doctrines. It is an intellectual doctrine. It's received intellectually. Okay, that's church fathers. And my friend was in a church that was built on church father Christianity. And when he experienced the name of Jesus baptism that was teached to him in a Bible study, he went back to his pastor and he said, why have you never told me about the name of Jesus baptism? It's in the book of Acts. That's where the church was born, the book of Acts. Why didn't you ever take me to that? And you have to realize that the book of Acts is where the church was born. Amen is where it all happened. Genesis through Genesis through Malachi is talking about the the Christ that is to come, the church that is to come, Jesus that is to come. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, is saying that Jesus is here. And the epistles and everything after that is talking about the church that was born, okay? So you can't take a scripture out of the epistles and make it your doctrinal statement. You can't take a, a, a scripture out of Genesis through Malachi and make it your doctrinal statement. You can't take a scripture out of the Gospels and say, this is our doctrinal statement. It has to come from the book of Acts because that's where the church was born. Everything, the Bible without the book of Acts is an empty hallway. You're just taking a walk because the point was the church was born and God puts his hand on the church he births. Amen. So you have to understand that a church that is developed is not a church that is blessed by God. If your doctrine and your theology is built by men figuring it out, then it is a man-made religion. Hello, somebody. So that is another form of Christianity you run into. And so he heard of Jesus' name baptism. He went to his pastor, and they were sitting at a desk, and there was a Bible sitting on the desk. Oops, I missed. There was a Bible sitting on the desk in front of him. <laughs> and the Bible was sitting right there, and he asked his pastor, why have you never told me about Jesus' name baptism, and what is, a, what is going on with this baptism stuff that I'm being told about? And in the second that he asked him that question. He turned in his desk. There was a Bible right there. Now he had been in Bible studies and they were answering all his questions out of the Bible. Now his church, his church pastor turns and reaches for a book from the church fathers and says, this will tell you about baptism. A book written by a man telling him how to be saved. Don't ever do that. Please don't do that. The only place to find where you're going to be saved is in this book. Amen? Don't believe what I have to tell you. I am just a man and I'm fallible. You go find out. You search out what I tell you. If Jesus' name baptism is not the only baptism found in the scriptures, then I am wrong. But guess what? I'm not wrong. <laughs> it's mentioned four different times in Acts in the birth of the church. And baptism in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, is only mentioned once in, in um, Matthew 28, 19. So if you're a gambler in the room, I don't endorse gambling, but if you're a gambler, your odds are four to one being baptized in Jesus' name to be saved. Just so you know, I'd rather take the gamble and get baptized in Jesus' name to make it to heaven. That's the only gambling I ever did, okay? So... If it's, if it's a matter of odds, look at it. There's more, there's only, the only significant use of water in the New Testament is baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. I, am I beating this too much? I apologize if I rode that horse down a cliff already. The church fathers, Christianity. So everyone say apostolic Christianity. That's what the apostles taught. Church father Christianity. Everyone say the Catholic church. That's how the Catholic church developed by 300 A.D., then there is Reformation Christianity. Everyone say Reformation Christianity. 
came out of the Protestant movement. Protestant movement is just protest. Anybody ever seen protesters? Protesters are people with signs. They're picketing something. They're protesting something. We are not protesting anything, brothers and sisters. We are the original church. Amen? I have another preacher friend that had a lot of revival going on in his city. And the pastor, the priest of the... I'm on priest today. I'm on Catholic. I apologize. The priest of the community came to him and said, I want to meet with you. And he said, do you know that you're just the wayward daughters of the mother church? of Catholicism. And he said, uh, no, no, we're not. And he said, what do you mean? He said, he said, well, you're just, you're just the wayward daughters. You, you, you are out of the Protestant movement came the Protestants and then Luther, Martin Luther, and then broke down into the Methodists. And the Methodists actually were called Methodists because they had a method of holiness. They literally lived a holiness standard. They lived a godly holiness standard at one point. And the Methodist symbol, if you look, is the cross with fire coming around it. They were filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. A lot of old school Methodists were roll on the floor, Holy Ghost filled Methodists. Amen. And if you ever talk to somebody who had a great-great-grandmother who was a Methodist pastor, you will know that those people knew what it was like to get in touch with God. I know this is a little bit of church history. I'm getting through it. But what happens is through all of that different stuff, through Lutheranism, through Protestantism, Methodism, Lutheranism, all that different stuff, we were gaining revelation back of the original AD 33 church that the apostles preached. And now you have mainstream denominations, people that are even in Catholic churches getting filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues because God has made the revelation real in our day. It is powerful what's happening. I wish I could tell you there are whole conventions asking for Pentecostal preachers to come and preach the message of Jesus' name, one God baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. We just preached three years ago, I believe it was now, the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptists hate Pentecostals. They hate us. I can't even tell you how much they hate us. They preach against us. They have YouTube videos about Pentecostals that are all wrong. They don't even know what we believe and they hate us. <laughs> It's so funny. I know I'm getting excited. But literally, they hate us. But they started having people get the Holy Ghost in their churches. And they didn't know what to do. So they invited some of our preachers to come to the Southern Baptist Convention. And they had a session on speaking with tongues and the Holy Ghost infilling. And they preached Jesus' name baptism and the Holy Ghost infilling. And when they got done, over 300 Baptist ministers were laying on the floors, filling with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And they baptized a whole bunch of them in Jesus name and they've taken it back and now if you look at the Baptist movement there are mainstream Baptist churches that only baptize in the name of Jesus and they have people getting the Holy Ghost they don't have it all but they have, they're getting closer to A.D. 33, the apostolic doctrine, what the apostles preached. They're going back to the original source. They're becoming originals again, and originals are valuable. Turn to somebody and tell them, I'm an original, and I'm really valuable. Turn to somebody and tell them that. So we have apostolic doctrine, we have church father's doctrine, and we have reformation doctrine. So this priest, I'm finishing the story, this priest says to this pastor, you're just a wayward daughter of ours. And he said, no, no, we're not. Actually, we're not. And he said, well, how do you baptize? You baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the titles? And, um, and they said, because that's how the Catholic Church baptizes. He said, no, no, we baptize like the apostles did in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and the priest goes, oh, I guess you're not out of the Catholic Church then, are you? He said, no, actually, you're out of us. Because A.D. 33, they baptized in Jesus' name, were filled with the Holy Ghost before they developed the Church Fathers Doctrine of Christianity for the Catholic Church in 300 A.D. and before the Reformation Christianity, which developed by 400 A.D. In other words, no one would have gotten saved according to the Catholic Church for 300 years after Jesus died. And no one would have gotten saved for 400 years after Jesus died had it not been for the Apostles' Doctrine of Jesus' name baptism and infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. That that is the original, brothers and sisters, and that is what followers of Jesus Christ still believe. And so Nero is taking these Christians like at Antioch, and he's lighting them up like candles in his, fl in his flower garden, literally burning them at the stake. 
And he's trying to destroy the Christians. He actually decided as an emperor of Rome that he was going to restart Rome. And he started burning Rome. And when people start having their businesses and their houses burned, they get a little bit irritated. So Nero blamed the Christians for the fires. If you study church history, you'll find this is true. I, I'm not telling you a lie. This is so true. So he blamed the Christians because they were the closest thing they could blame and they were already kind of unhated. Uh, and so they blamed the Christians and they started massively killing Christians. And that pushed them into all the outlying areas and sent the gospel all over the world. Amen for that. But while he was doing that, while Nero was doing that, his wife went to visit the prison where Paul was imprisoned after he left the different places that he traveled as a missionary. And his wife was a convert of Paul. And in Nero's own house, while he's burning Christians in the garden, his wife is baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. The power of this message goes far beyond. Even the servants in Caesar's house were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Abraham Lincoln and his own wife went to a tent revival, fell on their knees, and God filled them with the Holy Ghost. And some believe they were baptized in Jesus' name. How do you think Abraham Lincoln had the wisdom and the God design to get us out of the civil rights movement? He was led by the Holy Ghost. He was following Jesus. If you only knew what you had a hold of today, if you only knew what you have encountered, if you only knew the revelation that has become your possession in life, that you have something so powerful that even those that tried to burn it couldn't burn it out. Those that tried to kill it by having the lions devour them couldn't devour it. Those that tried to destroy it by burning the Bible could not destroy it. You are a blessed people to be following Jesus. Would you stand to your feet today? I hope I didn't lose you in church history. I'm not usually that heavy, but quite honestly, you need to know. You need to know what you believe. You need to know who your God is. You need to know that God intermingled himself with flesh, and he is one God. You need to know that he came and died for you. You need to know why they were baptized with Holy Ghost and fire in the New Testament. When God gave Moses the original covenant, the law, up on the mountain, when he gave him the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments was their first covenant with God. And with that covenant came wind and fire. And when God initiated his second covenant, the dispensation of grace, the church age, born in the book of Acts. He initiated it with wind and with fire. It's all through your book. Go read your Bible. Swallow it. It's real. <laughs> this is the real deal. This is the stuff you need. This will change your life. This is God's work in us. And he makes us disciples so that we can be followers of him. I finish with John 13, 33. Thank you for holding that for so long. John 13, 33, it says this, Jesus is changing the paradigm of these people. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. He's talking to his disciples. Judas has already left to go betray him. He's having the last supper. It's the Passover. It's, it's the final Passover supper. Jesus is having the final supper, and he's actually starting the first communion, where that bread and that wine becomes for a memory. It's a memorial from that day forward because Jesus is going to be the final Passover lamb. Do you understand what I mean? So while some people believe that whenever you take communion, it t you're taking the life of Jesus into you and that makes you saved, that's not true. Jesus was decommissioning the Passover and he was fulfilling it with his own sacrifice on the cross and becoming the first communion that forever from that table, that last supper, it would be done as a memorial unto him as a memory to him. And so he's telling his disciples, hurry, quick, gather around because one has already left. We're already down to 11. Let's quick huddle and let me share with you this final truth. And so he says, and I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot go. You cannot come. Why would he say that? 
Why would you say, where I'm going, you can't go? Because they were disciples. And a disciple means following Jesus. So he says, I know your disciples. I know you're following me. But you can't follow me anymore where I'm going. And he says, so I say to you, go to the next verse. I, a new commandment. Everyone say a new commandment. This isn't new. This is not going to be something like where you go, whoa, I didn't know that was in the Bible. But he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love, everyone say love one another. As I have loved you. Wait, whoa, whoa. A new commandment? That's not new. He says, but let me qualify it. You need to love one another the way I have loved you 12 and you 11. The way I have lived my life with you and showed you and you followed me. You need to love one another like that. Then go on to the next verse. He says, but this shall, by this shall all men know that you are my Christians? Jesus said, disciples, followers of Jesus. This way you'll know that you're a follower of me. If you have love one to another. You know why we're worshiping up here and people are late for church and I go hug everybody and I go shake everybody's hand? I'm probably going to do that till I'm 95. I'll be like walking over to you, you know, third song in. Hey, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord. I'm so glad you can make it. It's because I want to be a follower of Jesus. And Caleb, the only way I can be a follower of Jesus and be a disciple is if I love you people like Jesus loved you. So he gave us a brand new commandment, Reese. He said, if you're going to show the world this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. The world will stand on the edge and look into the church. <laughs> this, these tears have been held back this whole sermon. <laughs> They'll look into the church and they'll say, I don't know if I want to be a Christian or not, but I sure like how much those people love each other. I sure like how much they care for one another. And if there's anything I would like to have happen, I would like for my daughter to marry a man that treats her like I see men treat their wife in that church. And if there's anything that happens, I'd like for my son to marry a woman that honors and respects her husband the way I see in that church. That's how all men shall know that we're disciples. If we love one another, Jordan. If we love one another. <laughs> and Peter, who is an absolute dope sometimes. I don't even know how he got invited to the 12. The next verse, check out Peter. Simon Peter said, Unto him, where are you going? Oh, where are you going, Jesus? Do you think Jesus wanted to slap him at that moment and go, did you just miss the lesson, Peter? Where were you when I just unloaded the bombshell that the whole world will know you're my people, you're my followers if you love one another? And you're like, where are you going? He's still stuck on following Jesus wherever he physically goes. And Jesus is saying, you will be able to now tell people and show people that you're following me spiritually because you love the unlovable, because you treat people better than they deserve. So yeah, yeah, I ask you, I ask you the question today. Are you a disciple or are you a Christian? Are you just going through the motions or do you want to change your world?